we used to have a requirement of having to see a certain number of shows. I think we were graded on six week intervals. I think we had to see a show every six weeks. I think that's how it worked. Whoa. And then write a review of it, like what we liked, what we didn't like. Wow. Anyway, but there's no kind of requirement mm-hmm. for that. Um, yeah, I know that's that's what led me to go see. Um, what was it? Noises off. Anyway, oh, yeah. but that was that was like the play where oh I was like, gosh, I, I want to do theater. Anyway, oh really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I saw that and was like, this is man, theater can do this. Wow, I want to be part of that. Right. But, Welcome to episode nine. Isn't it funny when you get together with another theater person, how you instantly start talking about shows you were in, on stage mishaps, and your favorite musical in high school, and how you can still sing all the words. That is exactly how it feels whenever I'm talking to Thomas Magby. When he started working at Veritas, I remember hearing that he did theater, but when I spoke to him and he was so interested in what we were doing, it felt like I had a kindred spirit at the school. He's directed shows for me, and last year he was even in the musical Guys and Dolls, which was my first musical, so he was definitely along for the ride on that one. Thomas graces us with his knowledge of Antigone, but from a classical perspective. Please enjoy. And welcome to Jesus and Juliet. Um, I have an awesome guest with me. <laughs> wow, an awesome guest. This is nice. Okay. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, this is Thomas Magby. Hey. And he is a friend of mine and co-worker. Um, we've worked together for... Uh, I think I've been at Veritas now three years. So Wow. Uh, it seems like so much longer. <laughs> longer than that. Is this an insult? Is it no. like, it feels like, oh my God, I feel like I've had to put up with you for so long. Is yeah, that what's happening no. right now? <laughs> it's, it does seem like it's been longer. You remember um, I directed the non-competitive one-act play? I think that was... Your first year? I think that was my first Mm-mm. my first full year. I think that was the second year. So yeah, still, I, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So I've been here for a little while, but three years. I have a funny story about that. About that? About those shows? Yeah. yeah. No, not about that. I remember at one point at the end of that year... Um, this is how bad I am because I haven't introduced you yet. <laughs> oh, this is good. No, this is going great. <laughs> At the end of that year, I think we were planning courses for the next year. Yes. And I was going to teach that acting you course. Were, yeah. yeah. Um, instead, normally I just teach, like I just direct shows mm. during class. Um, but I wanted to teach a, a course that was specifically for acting where we do scenes and monologues. And I remember being in a meeting and Troy, who's my boss, <laughs> was like, well, what do you think about um, Thomas? directing one act and I started crying. Uh, yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think I would start crying too. Anyway, doesn't that sound, can you imagine me doing what you do for one act? I, yeah, I, but I, I, can't, mean, no, I was I just can't. like, no, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> yeah. It, I, the, the, whatever last place is for the first competition is what that would have gotten. Oh anyway, gosh. I would be nowhere near to no. ever many times. Have you seen how, three or four times you've gone to state? I would not, I would be zero competition anyway. <laughs> zero times. Yeah. That's what mine would be. Oh my goodness. I would, I would not be qualified for that. Um, so in addition to teaching at Veritas Academy, you're also the Dean of Student Life. Yes. You also host a podcast. I do. Classical stuff you should know. Yes. And um, you are married yes. and you have a new little baby boy. I do. Um, yeah. My wife is Sarah. Uh, she and She's awesome in her own right. She's not here. Why am I describing her? Anyway, <laughs> if you enjoy cookies and you live in Austin, Redbird Bakery is the place you should be buying those from. Anyway, oh. Whatever. Why not? And yeah. I didn't know that it was named. Oh, yeah. Redbird Bakery. That's awesome. Okay. She used now, to. Now she, I want to know more about that. 
was when she was like the name of it. Yeah. When she was growing up, I'm going to get the story wrong. Maybe I won't. When she was growing up, she and her mom would bake together. And that's where Sarah got her start with her recipes. And her recipes are a whole other story. But uh, whenever they would bake, there'd be little, there'd be cardinals that would sit on the tree right outside of the window of, of the kitchen where they would cook. And so that's the Redbird for Redbird Bakery that her start came from that setting, her mm. and her mom making those cookies together. But she's worked on the, anyway, she has these like, uh, what, I was gonna say custom recipes. What's the, is there a better name for that? Like recipes? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. This clearly shows you how good I am with cooking, but she has these like, uh, uh, recipes that she herself has made and developed oh, and wow. they're delicious anyway That's awesome. she makes these like quarter pound cookies they're giant they are anyway why are we talking about cookies again okay, okay well good, that was good, good talk. this is this <laughs> good is talk. yeah good talk <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that's great too. So you should buy cookies. Uh, and yeah, I have a seven month old. I think at the time this comes out, it may, and seven or eight month old, depending on when this comes out. But uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, so Thomas luckily is saving this episode. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> by, um, by, he kind of prepared a little bit. And so I guess, I um, I'm, what? Uh, well, I guess we'll find out how, how well yeah. I prepared, right? <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but also excited. <laughs> That's for both of us, right? <laughs> this is good. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, a, a topic that's been bounced around for uh, your previous eight or nine episodes is kind of like what type of content um, is right or good to put on stage? Like what? What? Yeah, what is appropriate? I guess. And most of these conversations have taken place from a Christian angle of asking like what is moral good, what is like appropriate in a Christian worldview to put on stage. Which it's a good, it's a really interesting question. Uh, we mentioned before the podcast that I'm a co-host on is classical stuff you should know. So I wanted to try and take that question from the classical angle. So not uh, strictly a, a religious angle, but from a historical angle of like uh, of what should be put into a play and why is there a case for putting something on stage which uh, you don't necessarily agree with or don't necess- necessarily think is moral or good. Mm-hmm. So for uh, to center this conversation, I'm going off of Sophocles' uh, Antigone. And Laura, you directed the show. You said... I did. I directed it. Mm, I don't remember how many <laughs> Did you say it was for one act? No. Oh. That was our spring show. So we did that here. Um, yeah, I had two Antigones and they each got to do a performance. Oh, two people playing Antigone. Yes. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, I don't know. What, is, what does that mean? I just changed it up. Yeah, I was like, what's that about? Seriously. Just like the day before you're like, ah, I don't like you very much. Extra Antigone. Wow. Seriously. Someone dropped out. This, this, <laughs> no. No, apparently not. Yeah. So, okay. That was a long time ago. Uh, I'll be taking and talking about classical from the angle of, re- uh, you know, relating to Greek culture. That's one definition of classical. If you want other definitions, there's an episode called what is classical on <laughs> classical stuff you should know, which is very okay. And there's another one on what is classical education also for classical stuff you should know, but I'll be taking this just from the angle of old stuff that's been passed down uh, from generation to generation, which is among Antigone is one of those works that's been passed down and passed down. So I'm going to, I'll briefly talk about the story of Antigone and then we'll, I mean, Laura, maybe we'll talk about your experience of why you chose that. If you remember right. if any of that is helpful or, we can just talk about the themes in it and why um, Sophocles would write a play uh, with these themes in it. So story of Antigone goes a little something like this. There is a uh, woman named Antigone. Antigone is the daughter um, of Oedipus and Jocasta. Uh, 
Antigone, the play takes place in a series of three plays called the Theban cycle. And Antigone is the first play written, but it's the last play of the trilogy. Um, so you can read it. It exists, it exists just fine on its own. You don't have to read the other plays to understand it, but centers around Antigone. It's why it's named after her. So the, the, the central tension in the play is that, uh, there has been a battle and this battle is not covered in the trilogy of plays that Sophocles writes on, on the Theban cycle. Uh, it's written about elsewhere in um, Seven Against Thebes is the name of the play. Uh, but there are many accounts of it. But essentially the way it goes is this, that uh, further back from when Antigone happened, uh, the the city of Thebes was ruled by Oedipus. Um, the Oedipus is in the first of these Theban cycle plays, Oedipus Rex, bad stuff happens. If you know anything about the name Oedipus, you know, kind of what happened with him. Uh, so he leaves the city and he puts in power his two sons. And the, the structure they have is that every year they're going to alternate who is in control of the city. So Ateocles and Polynices will go back and forth ruling one year after the other. Well, understandably this goes poorly and they ultimately, and they end up deciding not to, uh, rule this way. So what happens is Polynices attacks Ateocles when Ateocles is ruler of the city. What then happens? Both of them die. The two brothers die. And this is where the play Antigone begins. So Antigone is upset because Ateocles is given, Ateocles, her brother, is given a proper burial, but her brother Polynices is not given a proper burial. He's uh, left out in the battlefield to rot and be eaten on by uh, crows and it's a bummer. So she is not happy about that. So she is trying to figure out what to do about her frustration. Most people around her are telling her just to calm down and accept this. Um, her sister Ismini is telling her to calm down, to not worry about this. Creon is the king of Thebes. He's the one who made the rule that Polynices should not receive a burial. So he obviously says to not worry about it. Um, Haman, the son of Creon is saying, Hey, don't worry about it but she can't get over that this is a wrong decision that's been made. And so she's given this choice between loyalty to her family and loyalty to her city, the city of Thebes. And this is a tension that's created right there of which one should she pick? She will ultimately pick her loyalty toward family. She will go out into the field, take the body of Polynices and attempt to give it a burial, but she's caught as a result of her being caught, she is um, she's thrown into a tomb alive where she's supposed to um, uh, you know die of starvation, die of thirst, which is a bummer. And this kicks off a series of deaths, which is a bummer. Um, oh, sorry, I guess I should say first she's thrown into this pit. She's supposed to uh, starve and die uh, die of thirst, which is a bummer. Instead, she kills herself. She hangs herself. This then triggers Haman, the son of Creon, killing himself. It triggers uh, Jocasta. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It triggers uh, Eurydice, the wife of Creon, killing herself. Um, and it ends in a revolt in the city against Creon, all because of what Creon's decision was toward Antigone and Antigone going on to kill herself. Okay. This is a super bummer like way to start a podcast. So sorry about that. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> okay. So why am I giving you all of this information with a bunch of names? You probably won't remember, which is totally fine. And also Haman and Antigone are... Yes. Betrothed. They were betrothed. Yeah. Um, and so that is what mm -hmm. brings about him killing himself. And then it's Haman's death that causes his mother to mm -hmm. despair and, and then kill herself. Okay. So what, um, there are all of these, 
tensions going on in the play um, uh, of these these conflicts between right and wrong that are set up. Now, to um, what's the right way to pose it as a question to say? Um, there's one way to talk about the issues raised in this play is to simply ask the question, which is more important, loyalty to family or loyalty to state? And I guess in, so like in, in, the, in a Greek context, which one, is there one that you think would be put as like higher than the other? State. Yeah, right. Like right. The, the, yeah. The, there's this whole loyalty to sure. uh, mm-hmm. the, the people you live with. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this idea of the city-state. Um, the goofy word is the polis, mm-hmm. but there's this loyalty to state that really matters. But what, what's happening here is Sophocles is writing a play where that value is called into question. And instead, a, a deeper, more fundamental law is appealed to, the loyalty toward family. Now, I guess the way to, the way to phrase it is, um, is loyalty to family always better than loyalty to state? Maybe I can frame it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, there shouldn't be an answer to that question right off the bat. And Antigone, even in the play, I don't think is let off the hook for her decision. Where am I going with it? Uh, This play sets up a tension and a problem and shows us one form of resolution, but I don't think we have to agree with that form of resolution. Is that a fair way to... Yeah, I I don't think... I don't think you can answer that question. (laughs) I mean, I guess it would be case by case basis, but, but in a way, I mean, I mean, she was punished for what she did. Um, but in the end, when, you know, Creon, when the, the, you know, the community is kind of attacking Mm -hmm. him, um, was it worth it, you know? And I think that's the question the play ends with. She won't know. <laughs> she won't. She'll never know. And even in some sense, we don't know because we don't yeah. see... Sophocles gives us essentially a, a, a story. He gives us a story. He gives us an argument of what happens and then it has to end at some point. And so we don't know the repercussions after that. But I think that is the... I think that is an important role of theater is that to read a work of philosophy, to read a work of um, someone making an argument, they're telling you, this is what I think is right. And this is what I think is good. But in a play, you get to draw out complexity and you don't have to end the story saying Antigone was right. You can end a play having read it, watched it and say, actually, I think Creon had something to say that uh, there was something to Creon's side of the story or, um, you know, the city is wrong to revolt against this king who's trying to maintain order in a, in, a, um, in a kingdom. And I think that is a benefit of having, again, a, a topic that uh, the Greeks would look at and say, no, no, the higher value is toward the state. This place subverts that, and you don't have to agree with it. But I think that's the a strength of theater, is that it can present that story, that argument on both sides, and then not fully resolve it to say, this is the one true answer to this dilemma. Yes. I would say that the other part of that though, is that when you read a text, um, you obviously infer your own conclusions about things. Yes. And, um, but when you're watching it, there's a chance that you may be swayed. Yes. Even though it's the same words and they're not saying anything, right. but the way that they portray those characters or 
facial expressions or actions that they do on stage can completely change. Um, You know, in our production, we, I mean, normally in most productions of Antigone, I would say Creon looks like a pretty bad guy. Right. <laughs> so, but that's a, but that's a choice to and, make. And usually the, the, um, the girls are in, you know, not, I wouldn't say nice clothes, but they're in lighter colors. Mm-hmm. Um, Creon's mm-hmm. in black or whatever. I right. mean, that's how it was for our show. Sure. So, and even because that would visually set up a decision that you as director mm-hmm. would make to say, mm-hmm. This is a clear story where Antigone is a hero who is oppressed by um, um, a government that is coming down on her. Uh, Creon is is this villain who's um, exerting. Again, he was not king until uh, the two brothers killed themselves. So he's taken power very quickly and established this to dishonor one of the previous kings. Right. And so that's that's a decision to make on that. Right. One. But but there are, could be valid interpretations of the play that. Um, flip that that right. mm-hmm. um, Antigone is um, an upstart who mm-hmm. is not listening to the wise counsel of her sister of her uncle Creon mm-hmm. of um, of her community she's she's just dis- disregarding the values there um, and putting her own interest above everyone else but that's a choice to make that's crazy because I just realized if you completely switch everything yeah. around yeah. and redid the show yeah you, you'd have a totally different show right yeah there. Um, and that's not the most, the, the, the most typical interpretation is what you just said, but that's not to say that it's the only interpretation. Right. And again, that's the, the value in a production. That's the value in theater is that you get more of that ambiguity. I think that it's not, it's not a clear, um, what are those called? The, like the morality tales from the middle ages. Like it's not a clear, this is the one right interpretation of this. Right. Um, that, yeah, that even, even for the Greeks, even for Sophocles, there's an ability to critique uh, the the prevailing set of values and open a conversation of what is right here. Like what right. what should Antigone have done in this case? Um, do you remember when you read the play or, or cut the play? Was there any type of question there of how to frame the story? No, right. There wasn't because again, I, I think just, the, I just went in. <laughs> but but that is. <laughs> That is the, the the clear, that is the primary interpretation of the story. Well, I... She's a tragic I know hero. for me, when I read something, it's like as I'm reading it and I can immediately see the costumes, the set, all yeah. of that stuff. And I guess maybe that kind of makes my decision for me. But, um, but it would be interesting to kind of flip flip that a little bit. And you know what I mean? Like... I don't know. I'm thinking that's a great exercise. <laughs> I, I agree with that. And um, I think there's something to that for the actors in the play to think through also mm-hmm. of, so you have a vision going in of this mm-hmm. is what the story means. This is, right. what, this is what's happening, but also for the cast who's exploring this play of mm-hmm. this is what I read. This is what I hear when I go through this play, but you know, you Antigone, whoever the actress who played Antigone, like how do you think, what's Antigone's motivation here? Is mm-hmm. she a, um, a noble heroine or is she again, the upstart who is just trying to get what she wants, uh, because right. she wants it. I wonder if there's something to be said too, cause I'm a woman mm. so to interpret one way or right. the other. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Um, and absolutely that, that, yeah. that, that could play into it. Um, so th- again, um, 
I find it interesting that as you're interpreting this, you're seeing the play Mm -hmm. as how it could be put on. Whereas my main interaction with them are the ideas behind those plays. Right. And, and that's again, uh, I did theater in high school. I had the chance to direct one act a few years ago, but my primary interaction is that, um, plays, I don't know. They're more engaging in that way that, they leave open the possibility of there being more right on both sides than a typical um, essay or typical work of philosophy would allow. Well, and I, I think that that's, um, that's a, there's a time constraint there. Uh, It's, um, I feel like, I can't remember what he asked me. I, I think Graham at one point, who's another coworker of ours and the co-host of classical classical stuff. stuff, But he at one point asked me something and I remember just thinking, I don't have time. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's it's really, um, I hate saying that. It feels yucky to say that. Like, I'm almost like, should I cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't. But but it's, it's, especially kind of our model of school, things just move really, really fast. Mm. And so, um, you know, if I didn't, care so much about what they were wearing or what their right. <laughs> what our set looked like or any of that stuff, then I might have a little bit more time. We do do some character work, mm. but but it's it is hard to I mean you could spend a whole month. Yes. Like I mean you could spend five days a week talking about the um the theory of of Antigone and and the stuff behind it. Because these plays can be read as productions, which is what you're talking right. about, or as literature, right, which again yeah. is, is the primary exactly. way, way I'm approaching this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that could look like to have that hybrid. That, that's interesting to hear you say it that way of both studying it and then also performing it. So for instance, in the English classes each year, they read a work of Shakespeare and they'll put on, I mean, they'll stand up and like act out the scene, but that's so different from actually the costuming and the the lights and the Mm -hmm. stage and the actually doing a production. And then on the flip side of, you know, they'll spend a month on, you know, work of Shakespeare. You don't have that time to do that. You need to put out a production in a month and a half or whatever it is for one act play at the very beginning of the year for two, what two hours a week, two hours a week (laughs) again, because of the the, the schedule, that's the university model component. And so that like that, you know, you have those tensions there for sure. Um, and so that's where, I mean, it sounds like you do more of that interpretive work for the production than mm-hmm. the cast can. Right. Um, they don't have the time to do that. Yeah. Maybe if you had a particularly motivated kid, they'd be on board for that. Well, and also they're easily influenced by Your interpretation. Me. Yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I'm like, do this, they're going to yeah. be like, okay, yeah. you know, I'll go ahead and do that. But wouldn't it be cool if, if somehow some school should do this, but <laughs> if every year that one show changed with whatever we're doing for one act. And so it was like the English classes read that. And then we're also directing that or whatever. That'd be really cool. Because I know there's a, I don't know, movement's probably the wrong word, but there is a push for combinations of English and history into a humanities class, but there's no reason that theater shouldn't be included in that also, that Mm -hmm. those theatrical works are grounded in the historical period. And it, it makes sense to study them as, we are studying events of history. This is when this play is written. Right. And so that it actually mm-hmm. has that context to it, which I think is really helpful. Right. And I mean, the students are taught history. They, they 
can connect that for themselves, but there's something to be said for uh, not siloing all of those things and putting that all together. Well, and that's kind of dramaturgy. Like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, when you read a show and it takes place in a certain time period, it's, um, I mean, it's the director, I mean, I guess the actor should be doing it too, but our school, probably mostly the director, and most high schools, probably mostly just the director, but thinking about the costumes, what, right. how they dressed, you know, then and, and, um, what their houses look like and, right. and all of that kind of stuff. You know, we do a little bit of that. Like, what were you doing before you walked on stage? What, not, what were you actually doing? And I, I feel like <laughs> <I> should, <yeah. laughs> you, were, you were texting, but <laughs> no, you're making fun of me right now. No, no, not, no, no, oh, no. I mean like someone walking on stage, like Is what they were I asked doing. them, yeah. what were they doing? as their character before they stepped onto stage yeah. in real life, they were probably on their phone. But, um, cause that's, I remember, I mean, this was probably middle school when I, a theater teacher first told this to me that like what separates the, the actor who's trying from not is you are that character before you step on stage. Right. And so if you are having mm-hmm. a conversation, once you're on stage, start that conversation off stage and mm-hmm. what would that character be saying? Right. And then actually say those words, don't pantomime them. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know if, yeah. When I play has limits mm-hmm. on like being able to add stuff like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we go over what jewelry are you wearing? Yeah. Where did it come from? I mean, think about like something like jewelry. That's that what what you're wearing. Every piece of jewelry that someone wears usually means something. Right. It came from somewhere unless you just wear jewelry all the time and you bought it at Kohl's. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like for me, every piece of jewelry I have, like, okay, my husband gave me that. Okay. My parents gave me that. Um, and so that would be, you know, if you're reading Antigone Mm -hmm. or whatever, like what were they wearing? Were they wearing any jewelry? You know? Yeah. Or then that's the one, the one direction is to take it and just, I was, I'm pulling up a definition. So dramaturgy, the study of dramatic composition, representation of the main elements of drama on the stage. So usually incorporates that maybe this is a word everyone knows. I don't know, but like it'll incorporate not just, you know, you get a script and it has your stage directions and everything, but this is to say, what Laura was just saying, the the costuming of it, the Mm -hmm. accents of it, the historical time period, the Mm -hmm. major events that happened right before this play that the characters would know about, like what is, how do we locate this in its specific historical moment? Uh, so that's one direction, but the other direction is then to say, actually, instead of that moment, we're going to present Antigone in, if Antigone is about oppressive governments, why not take it out of the Greek context and put it in world war two? Right. Well, how would Antigone change if, right. if, if Creon's government is actually the Nazi regime, mm-hmm. it's not the, mm-hmm. you know, the Greek city state of Thebes, it's again, right. the Nazis. Like you make a different statement by, by making that movement there. Right. Which I think is why a lot of directors do that. Yes. I mean, that's just so common to move Shakespeare into a more modern yep. time. Um, and, and it, I mean, it helps students understand it. Yes. That's kind of one of the main reasons for doing it, I think. But um, and it also just shows how closely related the t- what we're doing now, you yes. know, relates back to what they were they yes. were going through the same thing. Yes. Same and thing. that's my uh, and uh, man, I, I feel like this is a crossover with classical stuff, so I apologize. But that's okay. part of the benefit of reading these ancient works. One, I think it's Mortimer Adler is the popularizer of this, but that by reading these great works, you are entering into a great conversation of ideas that is extended for as long as we have written works. So essentially from the Odyssey until Iliad and the Odyssey until now. And so we earn a spot in 
talking in that great conversation by reading what's come before us, which would include Antigone, which would include the right. Greek plays, which mm-hmm. would include the Greek uh, comedies in addition to the tragedies. Right. And then that gives us the opportunity to then respond and say, okay, well, Sophocles here in Antigone has a very clear view of um, this, this relationship between power of the state versus loyalty to family. Was he right? Right. Then we can engage and actually ask that question. But that question hasn't, I don't think, gone away. The mm-hmm. question of doing what we think is right versus what will get us in trouble is is still a, a question even that high schoolers can relate to and understand. Right. Um, and that's the benefit of reading an old work like this. It's not just to, you know, wear a toga and get on stage and whatever, mm-hmm. but like it act- is to show us right. that we've asked the same questions for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny that this is coming up because I actually just applied for the scholarship to go to on a three week sh- um, trip to the globe. Wow. And um, yeah, and it's kind of from a ELA teacher point of view, like English, English language arts teacher um, is really what it's geared towards, um, you know, enabling them to teach Shakespeare in a different way. Right. Um, And one of the things I I had to write this personal statement. One of the things that I wrote was when we did Richard Mm -hmm. and, um, and I felt like a lot of the critique was geared towards my understanding of the show, Mm -hmm. um, maybe underlying storylines and the history and stuff. And it, it really made me think all of this is just being passed down. Like how as a director, when I went to college and I went to college for directing, right. like not for acting for directing. Um, you know, we had a, a class that was dramatic theory and criticism. We had a couple of theater history classes and that's it. Really? Wow. Yes. I, okay. What you, the rest are acting technical, um, and directing. I mean, maybe this, I, I think this is the direction you're going. Did you not, you didn't have not anything to actually, like read those great works or yeah. No. And so um, you're really just going off of what you read in the text. I mean, any other, um, you know, diving into those subjects is, is on you. Right. And, um, and when I was writing the statement and, you know, I'm trying to think of what to write and why I want to go to this. And then I just realized like, this is all just stories passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down, but there's so much more meaning there. And that, um, that other teachers may not know, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? They're just directing a show. They're picking up the costumes and the lights and the, you know, and the set and, and all of that stuff and making sure their actors are, um, acting well, <laughs> doing their job right. and, and, um, and preparing marketing and programs. And right. you think of all the things involved in directing a show and it's, and it just, it kind of hit me that not only is it important for me to know that because I teach at a classical school, but it's just so important for everyone to have, for us to have that knowledge so that it can be passed down. Yes. And so I, it's, um, you know, I don't know if I had stayed in and gone and gotten my master's if mm. they have programs on Shakespeare and Greek that you can like but get I doubt it, it into, right? but I don't know. I don't know what they do. Um, I don't know that I have the time to go get my master's, <laughs> but, um, but I'm wondering, are you just supposed to build that from doing the plays over time? So uh, again, you've, 
you've directed Antigone, so that's kind of added to your personal canon of works. So yeah, uh, you've done. Um, didn't you do Trojan Women also? Maybe I'm making this no, up. No, I don't think I could do Trojan. Oh. Have you? I don't know. But or even uh, you've done again, having done Richard the Third. Yeah, like you are mm-hmm. building out the shows that Tempest. you have a knowledge of the Tempest. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're building out the shows you have knowledge of, and then can draw connections between as you are directing longer and longer. Right. But that feels like basic knowledge. Oh really? Right. Yeah. I, I have this feeling like it is, (laughs) um, the more I think about it, I, I think that that's, um, it's just enough for me to help the kids to understand what their lines mean. Right. Um, the interaction between characters, um, and obviously thinking what happened before they, you know, before the show started and all of that, but I'm, I know that there's so much more right. that I could teach them. And, and I, um, it's really humbling to, to realize that when I've been teaching for eight years yeah. and, um, I've directed Shakespeare right. and, you know, I mean, I don't think I did them a disservice, no, but no. it's, it's kind of like, Oh, I could be doing more. I guess, but so I, my junior and senior year, I took a double blocked theater program called theater major studies. And I think you had something similar also, right? I forget. You had to audition for uh, a thing at, anyway, so for us, it, it's, so, it, you know, a five day a week school. So two hours every day across five days, you know, uh, throughout the entire year, theater major studies, which involved, um, reading, kind of getting some history of theater as a part of that. So reading the Greeks, mm-hmm. it was basically reading Greeks and reading American playwrights, if I'm honest. It was not, you That know. was in college? No, this was in high school, was, oh, okay. 11th and 12th grade. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about when we did the different, like, You had the student-directed... Theories. Yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. In the, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had... Anyway, all, all I'm trying to get at with that is that even with 10 hours a week of doing theater a program for which I'm very thankful we, we didn't cover everything as a part of that either. Right. And we still only, we could do one of our productions a year during that class. And the other one had to be after school, like, right. you know, quadruple the amount of time you have with students now. And it's, it's still not enough right. to do exactly everything. And even a four year program, mm-hmm. this is what you're saying. A four year program isn't enough to give everything. Mm-hmm. The, the goal there is that across that time, you're preparing students to enter in and do the work themselves. Right. Uh, I know I am sure that I read Antigone when I was in high school. Didn't remember a thing of it until I had to prepare for classical stuff. You should know a series right. of episodes on these three plays. Right. And that's, that's enough. Like, right. Yeah. My theater teacher prepared me to do that mm-hmm. well. And as an adult, I can do that for myself. And that same for the students that you, yeah. you can't do all of that work with them or for them in the four years that we have them in high school. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it is a bummer. And I mean, not to point fault at any, you know, university theater program or anything. Cause yeah, there's just not enough time because there are a lot of really great American works. I mean, um, I, I love going through those and we, and we had to get through some of that in college too. So it's, um, anyway, and same, and um, I'm just thinking this a, a few weeks ago, Laura let me come in and read through Glass Menagerie with her one act play crew or cast um, mm-hmm. the, the class. It was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed that. But even a, a work like the Glass Menagerie, 
it's almost a tool for teaching history that the opening monologue sets up very clearly that this is going to be a story about the American dream letting down this family, that it's Mm -hmm. all a metaphor. It's all a dream play. Mm -hmm. This is what it, you know, it's about the great depression, just a heads up. That's what it's about. That's the opening monologue. Right. And then you see this story play out and it still surprises you. (laughs) Like it still hits you in the gut at the very end. Yeah. But that, that teaches you more closely what it felt like to live through that time than reading in a textbook, a paragraph that says, Stock market fell right twenty seven percent. You know, or whatever the yeah. numbers are. But like, and so yeah, you get that. Um, yeah, there's a teaching element to um, these plays that I, I think is not to be overlooked. And this is probably so banal and basic a point as why I even say it, but I, it's what theater has been helpful for me in my years after high school. After being a part of theater, these plays are still helpful to me. Are still helpful to me understanding um, historical time periods. Uh, right. And that's kind of where I feel like I get a lot of my history from. Yeah. I am not a super history buff. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my dad is and he. But, you know, I think if I put a textbook in front of him, he'd be like, this is so boring. So boring. Exactly. Right. Because <laughs> he reads autobiographies right. and, uh, and you know, that kind of stuff. Or, we, or watch documentaries. Right. right. Like interesting portrayals of the stuff. Yes. And uh, I think I get a lot of history from plays yes. that I've directed yeah. um and you just absorb it so much better yeah. and you find out a lot about yourself and just the time and yeah in a really empathetic way yeah and that's i'm sure the students will know more about the plantagenets from being in richard the third than they will from studying that time period in a class right, right? they actually have that mm-hmm. encounter and the and um, memorizing the lines and spending that time in that time mm-hmm. period. Um, like that's going to do more to cement that than again, mm-hmm. reading a textbook. Or, How cool would that be though? If they read it and then they went and saw it. I love it. Right that. after. Yeah. You don't have any, uh, again, this was, this is forever ago. We used to have a requirement of having to see a certain number of shows. I think we are graded on six-week intervals. I think we had to see a show every six weeks. I think that's how it worked. Whoa. And then write a review of it, like what we liked, what we didn't like. Wow. Anyway, but there's no kind of requirement mm-hmm. for that. Um, yeah, I know that's that's what led me to go see um, what was it? Noises off. Anyway, oh, yeah. but that was that was like the play where oh, I was like, gosh, I, I want to do theater. Anyway, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I saw that and was like, this is man, theater can do this. Wow, I want to be a part of that. Right. But anyway, how? Speaking of, yeah. How did you get into theater? Oh, and then out of it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but honestly, though. So I did. Uh, speech competitions in middle school. I did duet acting with uh, my best friend, Aaron Baumgartner. Hey, Aaron, you're probably not listening to this, but um, (laughs) so he and I did the star spangled girl by Neil Simon. Uh, I think that was our first play that we did together. Wow. I didn't, I don't know why I remember that. Uh, So did that from sixth until eighth grade. I did theater. I must've done theater two at some point during that. But then high school was when I really got into it. So anyway, speech was my kind of entry into it. I enjoyed duet acting, wanted to do more. That got me into theater. And then did that for, I mean, at least 7th through 12th grade. And then uh, I went off to college originally to be an accountant, which is insane. But I did that for some reason. Very quick. Anyway, so how did I get out of it? I went to college is basically and got a business degree and uh, off to the races from there. Um, but Were you sad to just let it go? I I don't think you ever let it go. I think it influenced me yeah. um, and has stuck with me in the years mm-hmm. since then. I both in 
no matter who you are, you, you will have to present ideas and talks and speeches mm-hmm. and whatever in right. front of groups of people and theater prepared me for that, uh, in a way that I don't think anything else mm-hmm. could have. And then I have a love for the theater that mm-hmm. will always be there because of my time in it. It's that, like you always feel like a theater kid. Yes. <laughs> even though, again, even though it's been 12, yeah. 12 years or whatever, since I've like yeah. actually been in a show, mm-hmm. but even no. In a show? Oh, sorry. I was in Guys and Dolls last year. Is that what you're trying to say? Great. Awesome. I had a speaking part in Guys and Dolls last year. That's, anyway, that's an insane thing that happened. What a, anyway, what a weird year. Anyway, I also got to direct two years ago, which is crazy. But yeah, uh, I would not have, what's the right way to say? I would not have jumped at the chance to direct a one act play if not for that experience 10 years before that. You know, like, right. I wouldn't have appreciated that in the same way if not for my time there. Right. Um, So yeah. It, you're so spot on, though. I I don't know why I would, I would still call myself a theater kid, even though it does feel like it. Yeah, though. I don't know why. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm do theater, but yeah, I still feel like that weirdo kid. I think in the I don't know which episode's going to come out first, but when I interviewed AJ, <laughs> AJ yeah. he was like, "We know we're both weirdies." <laughs> That's so <laughs> like, good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's pretty weird. Anyway. We are. <laughs> Listeners, if you made it through that episode, we're also the most fun people at the school. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's true. I like that. No, it's good. We have, yeah. Anyway, our little ministry team where we yeah. all get together. It's a very yes, fun time. So I like is. that. This is very good. Yeah. I don't, um, and, and it's a running gag that you can always like figure out who the theater kid was. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's something to that. And I don't know what it is. <laughs> what is it about yeah. us? With being a weirdo is probably the answer. Okay. Awesome. Well, that was a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> all over the map. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, I always knew I have no it, idea. honestly that's what I like about my podcast yeah it's all yeah, I love it anyway <laughs> it's just kind of weird I've, you, I've really enjoyed listening to it it's been oh, a really good joke thanks. anyway um did you say a really good joke I said show oh. but joke would be even better if I'd said <laughs> okay. that anyway um so where can people find you all right so I've already mentioned it several times by now but uh <laughs> the other podcast that I the podcast that I co-host is classical stuff you should know you can find us online at classicalstuff.net we are on Twitter at classical stuff unfortunately that is spelled c l s s c a l stuff there's no first a uh, and if you are interested at all in Antigone or the Theban cycle, episode 59 is where we talk about Antigone. So you can go check that out if you want to. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being on. Thanks. Um, and I hope that you guys have an awesome day. Bye. Bye. If you want to be able to reach Thomas Magby and listen to his amazing podcast, you can find classical stuff you should know on classicalstuff.net. And if you want to get a hold of me, give me some ideas. Maybe you have a great story to tell me about your theater journey. You can reach me on Instagram, Laura at Laura Dahl Kennedy. That's L-A-R-A Dahl Kennedy. And I would love to hear from you. I hope that you have a wonderful day.